0: Please turn in your Bible to chapter 139 of Psalms. The title this morning is something that might be characterized as a controversial idea. The title of the sermon is The Free Will of Man. I've been hearing about it ever since I've been in church. I can't find it in the Bible. My preachers taught it to me, my churches taught it to me, but I can't find any scriptural background for it. It has to do with a man, a Christian, being able to do anything he wants to do. And I hope to show you something this morning that maybe will get you to thinking, maybe like I'm beginning to think, that that really does not exist. Even though it's talked a lot about, I was made aware last week of a quote from Jalen Hurts. Maybe you all know who I'm talking about. This young quarterback for the Eagles, right? This man, in my opinion, which is worth what it cost, is a very deep spiritual man, young man. He knows some things that everybody don't know. And his quote last week was, I had a purpose before anybody else had an opinion. He knows something about this thing about being a Christian and being created for a purpose more than most I know, especially that young. Most of us arrive at the idea that we were created for a particular purpose after being Christians for years and learning to experience that. So apparently what it is, this talented young man, who has led a team to play in the Pro Bowl or the, the Super Bowl, has getting some opinions about him and his playing and probably some of them were unfavorable or he wouldn't have made this comment. But he understands that he was created for a purpose. And he is working out that purpose. And he's getting criticized for what he does. Kind of like Jesus. (laughs) Kind of like Jesus. Kind of like Paul. Kind of like maybe me and you, if you open your mouth for Jesus. But he made this comment And it really caught my attention and it's been on my mind all week. And I come to the conclusion that if you don't understand being created for a purpose, I mean I've said it a hundred times up here, that we were created for good works. That's what Ephesians says and Philippians says that we were. But if you don't understand that purpose, that idea of a purpose that God created you for, then everything else you believe is going to be a little off center. This might take three or four Sundays. I don't know. I'm going to try to chew it till there's no more juice left in it because it's so important for us to understand. And we start out in 139th Psalm in verse 13. Now let me read you a couple of of comments that David is making before he gets to that 13th chapter, or 13th verse. He says in verse 1 of 139, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, And you know me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. That means that God knows what you're going to think before it even comes to your mind. Did you know that? Did you know that your God knew you that well that He even knows what you're going to think about tomorrow? Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but O Lord, if thou knowest it all together. Everything I say, you know exactly where in my brain it's coming from. Such knowledge, verse 6, is too wonderful for me. It's high, and I cannot attain to it. David said, I can't even understand, Lord, how well you know me. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Then he goes to explain. I can go to heaven, and you're there. I can go to hell, and you're there. You're everywhere I go. He's going to extremes to explain to us how well God knows each one of us. Now, then it comes to this how does He know us so well? How does He know all this stuff? Well, look at verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that, that my soul knoweth right well. I know you do marvelous things, God. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are also thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. Does that confuse me, you as much as it did me? I first taught this as a Sunday school lesson in 1981. That's been a little over 40 years ago. And I've studied it ever since. And I took all this and put it down in present day terminology so it's easy to explain. And in our language today, it's easy to see why God knows what kind of thoughts we're going to have two or three days before we even have them. And if you will, just listen to how this is defined in today's English. For thou hast formed my vital organs. Thou hast knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise thee For I am fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are thy works And that my soul knoweth right well My bones and my skeleton Was not hidden from thee When I was made in secret From something that already existed That word made is a Hebrew word For making something new Out of something that's already there Now that makes a neat point, I think, because God can't design you any way he wants to. And you say, but God can do anything. No, he can't. Because he can't design you any way he wants to. He has to take your mother's DNA and your father's DNA and put them together and design you within that parameter. Your mother and your father have a lot to do with the choices he did when he made you. And that is how particular he did that. Thine eyes did see my embryo when it was yet unformed. Think of this. Before you were anything, before the sperm and the egg came together to make an embryo, God is already working on you to design you how he wants you to be. And in thy book, all my members were described. Now listen, folks. There is a set of plans on you somewhere. Some kind of, it's in a book, because God says it is. You were architectured, as one of my friends used to call it. You were thought about, you were planned, and with the material that your mother and your father gave to God to create you, within that, he created you. And if your mom and dad had ten kids, every one of them is just a little bit different, Right? but they still are all limited with what your mom and dad gave God to create your brothers and sisters out of. That is what it's talking about. And that's amazing. Which in a season of required time, Nine months, right? Or thereabouts. That's how long it took to put you all together. The required time it takes were molded into a form when as yet there was none of them. Before you were anything. You couldn't be found on a microscope. God took what was nothing and made you. Look at yourself. Feel of yourself. Know something about yourself. And God created that. You didn't just happen here. Everything in this scripture right here, everything indicates that you were created differently than I was. And God had a purpose in doing that. Because over in Timothy and Corinthians, it talks about the body of Christ needs every bone. Every bone. Would you like to have your shin bone snatched out of you all of a sudden? How fast could you run then? Do you see my point? Why does God know what you're going to think about day after tomorrow? Because he created your brain. And he created your mouth. He created what you know and what you have learned. And he knows exactly what that is. And that results in what we do and what we say and how we believe and what we are. God doesn't have to figure you out. You hear me? Lord, if you just knew what I really thought, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't say that. Don't even think that. He knew you before you knew yourself. I woke up this morning with my wife Shoving an iPad in front of my face with my great grandbaby, who was four weeks, what, four months old? Looking into my granddaughter's iPad, and Judy said, Here, say something to him. And I said, Hey, boy, how are you doing? And he jumped. He knew my voice, but he couldn't figure out where I was. And he's just now beginning to get a personality. That's amazing, people. And we, we don't even think about it. We take it all for granted. What God has done with each one of us and the whole idea that he may have to figure something out about me that he doesn't know already. Now here's the amazing thing. Every person in the whole world was done that way. Every person in the whole world. God took particular interest in each one of them. You know what he told Jeremiah? I called you to preach from the womb. That's how early the plan was for Jeremiah. I often wonder sometimes, when did he know I was going to preach? Because I didn't want to. I told him, oh Lord, we'll, we we'll, you know, I've been doing other stuff, but I ain't about to do that. But look at me. And that's something else we're going to get into too. Free will of Man. Paul didn't want to be a Christian. He killed Christians. And he was about it. I can just see Paul. He's on that road and he's got those people with him and he's going to Damascus to gather up a bunch of Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to be killed. And he struck down on the road. <laughs> he had a free will, didn't he? <laughs> And when he says, Jesus said, Paul, hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? Who said that? Nobody with Paul knew who it was, but Paul did. You know why? Why? Because the sixth chapter of John in the 44th verse says, Jesus says, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him first. Paul had been drawn by Jesus for a while through the work of the Holy Spirit. And soon as Jesus said something, Paul said, what must I do, Master? He knew exactly who was talking to him. And he knew what he was doing wasn't right. And he knew that Jesus was after him. And how fast did it take him to give up? How fast did it take him to decide, (laughs) this ain't my choice? Jalen said, I've had a purpose before anybody else had an opinion. Do you know the thing about Jalen's purpose? He knows what that purpose is. He could not get to the place he is today without knowing what that purpose was that God had him playing for. He got there too quick, people. Played in the Super Bowl, quarterback for one of the number one teams in the country. And he's what, 22, 21, 22, 23? Man, if I'd have known something like that when I was his age. Turn a few pages over to your right, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In verse 19. Now we're getting into Solomon's opinion about things he learned on this earth. That that phrase in Ecclesiastes that says under the sun. Every time you see under the sun, that means on this earth. Ecclesiastes is about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and the comments about things that he learned while he was on the earth. And listen what he says in chapter 5 and verse 18. Behold that which I have seen on the earth. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor. Have a good time. you worked hard, you've made some money, enjoy it. That he taketh under the sun, down here on this earth, while we're here, all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Wait a minute now wait a minute now you know what portion is have you ever gone to a buffet in a, in, a, in a cafe in an in a, in a, in a eating place and they say no you that's all you can have of that that's portion and god gives a portion he gives you a purpose he's got a purpose in mind but he's also got a portion for you what is it how much you get to enjoy about how much money you make while you're working down here. I look around this room, there's all kinds of different scales of income and scales of assets and all kinds of stuff for what people have accomplished while they've been here. Look what he says. Every man, verse 19 also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, all right, now that's number one, to all those people who have gotten riches and wealth from what they've done here on this earth under the sun, and hath given him power to eat thereof. There's two things to all this stuff, (laughs) y'all. One is what God has given you, that's your portion. And the other thing is whether or not you get to enjoy it. How many men have you seen work hard all their life to put together a fortune and then die before they get to enjoy it? That happens too. So there's two things about it. One is to get it. The other is to enjoy it. Because this is your portion. It's not my portion. It's your portion. And it's all different. Everybody's is different. And to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is a gift of God. You know that? I was taught when I was at Auburn that if I got out and graduated, and had $10,000 borrowed, and I could borrow $30,000, I wasn't operating but at a third of my capacity that I was supposed to borrow and invest every nickel I had, every nickel I could get. And I learned real quick, (laughs) and I finally got it all paid off in the early 50s. I didn't want to borrow any money at all. (laughs) Because the borrower is servant. For so the lender my bible says <laughs> I have to do things I do do things for the man that loans me money that I won't do for anybody else I'll take stuff off of him that I wouldn't put up with with anybody because I owe him money and that's the way it works Turn over to the left of Proverbs chapter 30. So now we've gotten this far. God created each one of us with a particular purpose. And he gave each one of us a portion to bring about that purchase, that purpose. Now there's something else that we need to take into account. I don't know whether you've ever done a... Study, or been part of a study on spiritual gifts. But the person with the spiritual gift of evangelism acts totally different than the fellow with the spiritual gift of helps. Evangelists a lot of times have long hair. They comb it all back and swoop it. They wear fancy suits They shine in the dark. I've seen them. I mean, I've been a member of a church that had an evangelist as its pastor. I don't go for that. I I wouldn't hire myself an evangelist as a church pastor. I've learned something about this thing. Your spiritual gift makes you a very, very particular kind of person with a very particular ways. Everybody ought to know what their spiritual gift is. I was 39 when I found out I had the gift of teaching. And then a few years later I figured out that a person who has the gift of teaching only has responsibility for what he teaches people. My solution to your problem is to teach you what you don't know. And when you're taught properly, you won't have that problem anymore. That was my job. And when I taught you how to get out of your jam, as far as I was concerned, I was through with you. I'd done everything I could. Then I got called to preach. A preacher is a teacher too. You know that? They got to be. A man is not qualified to be a pastor unless he can teach. I've had people tell me, well, you're a teaching preacher. No, all of them are teaching preachers or you can't be a preacher. But I learned when you get to be a pastor, you're a shepherd then, in addition to being able to teach. When I teach you what to do right, I'm still responsible to you some kind of way. And I've, I'm not through with you when I teach you how to do right. I still have to pray for you and worry over you. And watch you, and make sure you don't get in too deep a ditch. That's a whole new list of things altogether. So we got, we got a purpose. We're created for. I'm short. I can't be a basketball center. There's no way I can. I can just rule that out right off the start. And I got bad knees. I can't play football or baseball. I got this and I got that and I got this and I got that and I'm not good looking and all this kind of stuff. That rules out a whole lot of stuff other folks have. I don't have it. But I could ride a bucking horse and apparently I could preach. I didn't know I could, but I found I ain't nobody fired me yet. So what I'm trying to say, God has a plan for every one of us. And you need to understand that. Now how well do you understand the plan right now that God has for you? Well, I never thought about it. Well, it's time you start. Or else you'll never be a Jalen Hurts. Because he's taken advantage of what God has given him to go places. Thirtieth chapter of Proverbs. And verse five. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. He'll look after you. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. Add thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee and thou be found a lie. Now there's a thing right there that a lot of preachers need to highlight in yellow or blue or something. Because if you don't tell the truth on God, he's going to make a liar out of you. And it will happen. You'll be caught. You won't be able to hide. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. This is Solomon talking to God. There are two things I ask you to do for me, God. And you know Solomon had the most wives of anybody that ever lived. 950 of them. Now they called him the wisest man too. Now I don't know how all that fits. We'll get into that at some other time. I'm not qualified to preach on that. But Solomon says to God, remove, he was the richest man too, remove from me vanity and lies. Don't let me be arrogant, Lord, and don't let me tell a lie. Give me neither poverty nor riches, What he's saying here is, Lord, he understands, whether you did or not, before today, he understood that God gives him a portion. What he's got comes from God. Well, you don't understand. I got a job with a power company, you know, right out of college, and you know, now I make $200,000. Nah, it ain't got nothing to do with that. (laughs) It really doesn't. You may think it does, but it doesn't. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is convenient for me. Give me to eat what I can eat and enjoy and it won't make me sick. Lest I be full and deny thee, God, and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Lord, don't give me too many dollars and don't give me too few dollars. Give me what's right for me. Well, wait a minute now. What's right for me? However, he created me for that purpose. I had a friend one time Some of you knew him, I won't call his name. He was a good Christian man and he decided that he had a talent for making money that everybody didn't have. And he told me, I'm going to give up one year. I'm not going to worry about what God says. I'm going to go out and see how much money I can make in one year. I think I can make a million dollars in one year. And he did that. He made 760000 He didn't make a million. He made 760000 But you know what happened? At the end of the year, he's going to come back and, and, and put on the same shoes he was wearing before he decided not to follow what God said. Do you know he could never get back in those shoes again? Now listen to me. He could never go back. And he told me that. He found out that. He had learned stuff in that year of seeing how much money he could make. And he didn't want to go back. That was the problem. He could make too much money. Lord, don't give me more than is right for me. He gives us a purpose. Part of that is spiritual gifts to do his stuff and the other he gives us a portion to do it with. Turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in verse 13. Just a few pages over. Solomon, rich man, wrote Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes. He says in verse 13 of chapter 5, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. They had so much money that it hurt them. Solomon says, I've seen that happen. Everybody wants to make all the money they can. I learned years ago I told a fellow I don't want all the money I can get because everybody I ever seen that had more money than they needed acted a fool with some of it. They do. If you look around, you'll see it. Let me tell you something. There is a parable. It's a Joe Clark parable. It's not in the book. You go buy a new car and you look in the glove pocket, there's a book in there. Do you know that? You ever bought a new car with a book in the glove pocket? You know what they call it? Owner's manual. You know who made that book? The manufacturer. The manufacturer of that automobile puts a book in the glove pocket that if you'll read that book and understand your automobile, you'll keep from tearing it up. It tells you how to operate that vehicle properly because they're the ones that decided it. They're the ones that designed it. They know what the limitations are, and you need to use it like they designed it. They designed it with a purpose there's some of them that go 185 mile an hour. I know I've seen them. And there's some of them that won't go but 85 mile an hour. And if you drive the 85 mile an hour car, it's 185 mile an hour, it's going to blow up. This wasn't in my glove pocket, but this is my owner's manual. The manufacturer is telling me how I need to live in here. A big outfit in Sweden one time, years ago, it's been about 30 years ago now, did some research because there were so many small farms in Sweden, they did some research on whether it'd be cheaper to you go back to oxen and mules and horses to plow for these little farms than it would be to buy a tractor. And they used the comparison with a tractor in the animals the oxygen level in the blood. How much could you work an animal with how much you, little you could feed him and how much work he would turn out so they could compare it to would you be cheaper having him or, or attract tractor? You know what they found out? This was a, this was a secular universe didn't have anything to do with God. They found out that you could do the most work with a draft animal if you would work him six days out of seven and you could feed him the least and get the most work and still keep him healthy with his oxygen level in his blood. What does God say about your mule and your ox and working him? You work him six days a week. <laughs> it says that in Deuteronomy. And they had to figure it out over there. That's what I'm saying here. God's got it designed that way. You can do it any way you want to. But it ain't going to work. Never has. So you take the book and you figure out how you're going to live. And how's the best way to live with the purpose that God gave you and your spiritual gifts and your portion, how much of this world's goods God has got planned for you to use. Now, you look around and say, this guy's got too much money. He's got so much money more than I. Lord, why wouldn't you just let me have a little of what he has and take a little bit away from him? We've all had that thought. I don't get to make as much as he makes. But the way I see this is this way. you got two guys out here. One of them gets a job selling tractors to farmers. costs 8000 or $9,000. He used to. He dresses in a khaki suit. He wears a caterpillar ball cap. And he drives a pickup truck. And he's got an expense account. And it allows him to take farmers down to the steakhouse and buy a steak. Then you got another guy. He sells Rolls Royces. They cost 20 times as much. And the people he sells them to, he's got to carry them to the fanciest restaurant in town. And in order to impress them, he's got to wear a $1,000 suit. They were both outfitted for a purpose. One is purposed to where he can successfully sell tractors to a farmer. The other one is purposed and outfitted to where he can sell Rolls-Royce to multi-multi-millionaires. Now why would the tractor farmer, as long as he's making a good living, tractor salesman, look over to Rolls-Royce salesman and say he's making too much money? When you look at things that way, it don't seem like you're in such a bad place, huh? I've never made a lot of money, but I made all I needed. And that's enough. They asked J.C. Penney one time, the richest man in the world. You ought to be able to answer this question. How much money does it take for a man to be satisfied? You know what his answer was? At that time, he was tithing 90% of his income and keeping 10%. You know what his answer was? A little bit more. Do what? How much does it take to satisfy a person? A little bit more. And that's the way we all think. That's not the way God thinks. And that's not the way he tells us to think. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. in verse 19. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, the Holy Spirit, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, do what? You're not your own. But wait a minute, that fellow said I had a free will, I could do whatever I wanted to. No, you don't even own yourself. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit belong to God. You don't own yourself. Look at Romans. You're over that away. 8.28. Most of you probably know that birth by heart. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. He called you with a purpose in mind for you. He equipped you when you were born to fulfill that purpose, to do what you needed to do to make his plan work. And look probably on the same page at Romans 9, 16. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. You cannot decide to be what you want to be and be that and make God happy and be happy yourself. And you can't try to be what you want to be and arrive at that place either. It's not for him that wants to be that way or not for him that tries to be that way, but of God. He's the one that makes the decision how you wind up. Now that is all very, very interesting to me. (laughs) And I've read every bit of it to you from the Scriptures. until I studied that 139th Psalm, I didn't realize all of this was in the book. I didn't realize that God is working with me every single day. And in my case, to keep me from being too famous a horse trainer so I can't ever be a preacher and do what he called me to do to start with. Oh, I wanted to be a world champion. I could care less about being a preacher. And I tried my best to be that until I figured out he was working against me. (laughs) I couldn't be it. It wasn't about talent. It was about God keeping me pushed down. Because if I had accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, I wouldn't have been fit to be what God wants me to do now. And everybody's like that. Oh, you can do whatever you want to do, but you won't be getting ahead. You won't be satisfying God, and you won't live a very happy life. In 2 Timothy, this is the last scripture. Scripture. Chapter, 2nd Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, His prisoner. Five times you may be interested to know that Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That sound like a man who is free to do anything he wants to do? No, Paul understood that. He's a prisoner. In the last several weeks, we have talked about chastisement and how when you do what God doesn't want you to do, he comes in and spanks you, makes you unhappy, and hopefully you're smart enough to figure out that with the trouble that God has given you, you can't act like you want to act. You can't be like you want to be. Because actually, as a Christian, you are a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this, to start with the idea we had, how much of a free will do you think a prisoner has? Can he live in whatever room he wants to in the prison? Can he have the window with the sun on the sunny side? Can he get up and go to bed whenever he wants to and do whatever he wants to do? Back to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts understands a great deal of just what I've talked about. I don't know how much you understood about it before we talked about it. But Jalen Hurts has got a particular position that he's in that not many folks are in. I've made my living in that position and my daughter, my youngest daughter makes her, her living in that position today. You make your living off of competition and how much money you make determined by how much you win. She's a softball coach and I showed horses for a living. If I didn't win anything they wouldn't nobody bring me a horse pay me a dime. That's an added thing to the situation that's not there for people who go to a nine to five and got a salary and off days and sick days and vacations and retirements. People like Jalen Hurts, they're on a production basis. If they make 10 touchdowns, they make twice as much money probably as if they make five touchdowns. And their performance has a great deal to do with how much money they make. He understands all of this and knows this right here in the basis of all of that right there. My daughter and I have talked about it. What do you do, Daddy, when it's against the rules to do this and you need to do that to win? I'll close with this story It's very important to people that have to make their living in competition. You remember Bobby Allison? You remember Bobby Allison, one of the greatest race, race car drivers there's ever been? I found myself years ago in a situation where I was training a horse for a fellow that was on Bobby Allison's pit crew. This man was a Christian. And we got to talking about Christianity. And we got to talking about Bobby Allison's Christianity. And the fact that he went to Mass every Sunday morning on the day that he raced. And I asked Bobby's assistant, I said, Tell me about him and his Christianity. Oh, Mr. Joe, you don't understand that. Mr. Bobby, he ain't got Christianity like you got. I said, what do you mean? There's only one kind. No, sir, what I'm telling you is this. Yes, sir, he goes to mass every Sunday morning on the days he races. But later on in the day, if you're beating him on one of the last three laps in the race, Bobby Allison will run over you. He'll kill you with that car he's driving to get to win that race. You won't do that. No, I said I won't. So that's the problem Christians have got out in the world competing with people who are not Christians when some of them even claim to be because they'll do things that God won't let you do. You know that if you do those things, you're going to go the other way. So just exactly as a Christian, and we'll get back to it, and it's going to take two or three Sundays for me to exhaust this this idea. How much free will do you have? How much free will do I have? Another guy buys a horse, pays too much money for it, gets it home, finds out it's been doped up and it's lame. It's not worth half as much. I go buy a horse. I carry him to the house. I found out he's lame. He's been doped up. That guy will take that horse, re-dope it and carry it back and sell it for the same thing he paid for. I can't do that. God don't like it. And so I lose. So I get to the place where I got to be real careful about buying doped up horses because I can't have one. I can't make any money if I do. So you see, that's the way the world goes with Christians and honesty and free will. As a Christian, you know this, and this is basic. You can sit on the front row in church every Sunday you want to, go on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, and go knock on doors on Thursday nights. But come Monday morning, you're expected to be honest in your business. And I don't think that's unfair at all. Because when you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in your gospel and I want to be part of your family and I accept your salvation because I want you to be my Lord and Savior, that carries with it a big obligation. If you do it right, and God's going to work against you if you don't do it right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you particularly for the trouble you went through for me and that you go through every day. Sometimes I'm talking to you and I feel like nobody else in the whole world is talking to you at that time. And I know that there must be two, three hundred thousand people thinking that same thought in the world at some same time. And that's how close you can be to me. And that's how particular you took the time to create me and what I am and what I can't be and for me to understand that. Lord, I hope we see a side of you today that we maybe hadn't looked at so hard before. But we realize that it's part of Christianity, just like all the other is. It's in your book, and it's instructions for us to do your way in a very practical way. And that's simply being honest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.